We're so thankful to turn things. Turn things for the good. For you're a good, good God. We're so grateful and thankful for the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Has redeemed us unto God. Paid the price for us to be set free from sin and all its effects on our life. That through the blood of Jesus, you bearing our sin, we might become the righteousness of God. So we ask you this morning, Holy Spirit, give us that wisdom and that revelation in the knowledge. God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we might know you more intimately and personally, and in that we begin to have revelation, and you flood our hearts with light, and we might know what is the hope of our calling. And we might know the riches of the glory of your inheritance for us as sons and daughters of God. We wouldn't continue to look at what the world has to offer, but we would know that heaven has offered us all that we need. That we would walk in the realities of heaven and eternity rather than the trivialities of the world that we live in today. Dealing with the trivialities with that which is really substantial and eternal. We thank you for a revelation of the exceeding greatness of your power that you release towards us who believe. That same power that raised Christ from the dead. That miraculous, miracle-working power to give us revelation of the authoritative power that we have. That same power where Jesus was seated far above principalities, power, might and dominion in every name that is named. Not only in this age, but that which is to come. Show us the miracle working power we possess. And the authority that we have over circumstances and situations. Over principalities and powers. The enemy. So that nothing shall by any means hurt us. Let it become a reality to us. Not just a story. Not just a thought. But make it life to us, Holy Spirit. Translate it into life for us. That we walk in that place that you've ordained for us to walk in. That we walk in the anointing. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for the anointing. It destroys every yoke of bondage. Thank you even this day you reveal things to hearts and lives that will set people free from bondages. By the anointing you destroy, shatter things that the enemy has yoked them to. They thought they couldn't get free. But I thank you the anointing will shatter that revelation coming and dependence upon the revelation that comes. Faith in it. Accessing anointing to bring freedom and liberty. The liberty by which only Christ could make us free. So we thank you for revelation. We thank you for utterance. Father, that each one, you would meet them. You'd equip each one. Open up something today. You'll give them revelation, something to process with you throughout the week that they might grow by the sincere milk of the word. We thank you. We approach it as it is in truth, the holy written word of God, able to set free and to make whole, to develop us, to increase us, to give us knowledge that we might bring faith forth. Thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And faith accesses that which grace provides. So we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise and thanksgiving for everything that will be accomplished by your word and your spirit in every heart and in every life. In Jesus' name, and everyone who greets it, 
Amen. Praise the Lord. We're looking at something next. You say, the life of God dwells in me, and the life of God dwells in you. Therefore, you have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Hallelujah. I know we've said this before. We continue to say that. I believe God's called us to a number of things, but he's called us to victory. Amen. And the enemy will continue to try to victimize you. And we have a culture, the course of this world that will promote that, help you with that. But Jesus came to give you victory. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Jesus came to give you victory over circumstances and situations. So the enemy, if he can victimize you or make you feel like that you're a victim, then he can always begin to rule over your life through victimization. But the moment we break free free from that and we realize that Jesus has caused me to be a victor, we approach every situation differently. We approach every situation knowing that we'll not be dominated by the situation, but we will rise and take dominion by the power of God that is on the inside of us. Amen? And so there's a revelation in that that I believe God wants the church to get more and more. Because we struggle with situations. I know some of you don't uh, or would act like, but we do struggle with situations that come. The enemy counts on the fact that we're going to struggle with some situations that come. And so we started a series of messages a couple weeks ago that I entitled, God Help Me. And you know, many times we've cried out, God help me with this. And, and uh, you know, even last week, Pastor Jonathan uh, ministered a message, a great message. And I thank him for ministering that God help me be holy. And so many times we're just saying, God help me. Really, the premise of this is not just a cry of help, God help me, but to recognize and understand that God has helped you. God, ha when you come to that thought of, God, I need help somewhere, that you realize that help is available. Amen? God has provided, God is our help. And so the 121st Psalm, our foundational text here, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation of the Bible. It says, I look to the mountains and the hills longing for God's help. But then I realize that our true help and protection come only from the Lord, our creator who made the heavens and the earth. He will guard and guide me, never letting me stumble or fall. God is my keeper. He will never forget nor ignore me. Come on now, it says, listen, I looked to the hills. I looked somewhere for help, and then I realized my help doesn't come from those places. Even as believers, many times we're like, you know what? I've got a problem here. I'm anxious. I'm stressed. I need some help. And we look all kinds of places for help. We, we deal with the situations of life and we start looking. We, if we're not careful, we look to money for help. We look to a career to help us get our self-worth. We look to drugs and alcohol to calm our nerves and to calm things. But in the end, we realize there's no help, true help from those places. And even though it seems to help temporarily, there's no true help from that place. And the psalmist said, I'm looking to the hills. I'm looking somewhere until I realize my only true help comes from God. And he's going to guard me and he's going to guide me through everything. 
King James says, even though the the earth was shake and mountains be removed, he says, I'm not going to be afraid. God is my helper. Come on, God's provided so much help for us, yet it's so easy just to fall back and say, you know what? I'll help myself. And in thinking that, we never really think, I'll just help myself. We do that. We're, We're going to somebody else. And then when they can't help us, we become disappointed. And disappointment comes from unfounded expectation. And so we have this expectation of people. We put an expectation on people or things that they can't meet. Why? Because they're not God. They're not God. They're not able. They're not created. They're not able to bring the help that only God can bring. And so we're living in a day and we're moving into a place in time that's brought from eternity. A place in time that we cannot rely upon our own intellect. We cannot rely upon our own strength. We cannot rely upon our own willpower to navigate and move through. That we're going to have to look and say, listen, my help comes from the Lord. And when my help comes from the Lord, I'm going to begin to draw on that place of help and strength to put me over the top. Amen. Come on. And so, you know, really, uh, there's probably more than this, but just, just for the offset, there's two kinds of help. There's two kinds of help. There's the kind of help that somebody does something for you. And so, you know, I have, you know, my daughters, my wife around me, they're, they're better at technology than I am. I have office staff that's better at technology than I am. And so I will take my phone or my computer to them, and I will say, can you help me with this app? Can you help me get on this? And they say, sure, and they take my phone away from me. (laughs) And they give it back to me and say, there you go. And I'm like, thank you very much. I still don't know how. Right? And so I'm going to navigate this just a little bit. You have to bear with me. There are things that Jesus has done for us that we cannot do for ourselves. All right? So, so know that. Just set that aside for just a second, if you can. There's a second kind of help where somebody, I'll just use that same analogy, takes your phone, sits down with you, and helps you, takes their knowledge, their power, their strength, whatever it is in their expertise, and they begin to show you, and they empower you. If they always do it for you, you become dependent upon them. But if they empower you, not only can you do what you're supposed to do, you need to do, but then you can also empower someone else down along the line to be able to do it. And I believe that the the strength and the power, the help that God wants to give us is not where we cry out, God, I need help, and then expect that he's going to do everything. And if we're not careful, even though we are faith people, we know uh, a, a number of things, we'll get into a pinch, we'll get into a circumstance, and we'll begin to cry out and say, God, you need to do something. And when he doesn't do something, we feel like he let us down. But he's already done something. All the things that we could not do for ourselves, he did for us. And now he wants to help us by empowering us 
to change. Empowering us to change. And so last week, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Jonathan taught about, uh, uh, Lord, help me be holy. And we're just going to move into that just a little bit. And we'll even incorporate the things that Alan has talked to us about because they're very important not to set aside, but to understand how God has set up predictable success. Right? He brought this out. If you'll meditate in the word day and night, observe to do all that is written in it, then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. How many of you believe the word that says God cannot lie? All right, so if God cannot lie, then if we meditate in the word day and night, and in meditating it, we observe to do what was written in it, then we will make our way prosperous and we'll have good success. Second Peter chapter 1 goes through a number of things that, that, that he says, you know, uh, God has provided everything to us that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. That he's called us out from the world and sanctified us by his own glory and virtue. And if we believe in this, then we begin to find within that belief virtue. And in virtue, we find knowledge of God. And in knowledge of God, we find perseverance. And in perseverance, we find godliness. And in godliness, we find brotherly kindness. And in brotherly kindness, we find love. He goes on to say, if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then even be more diligent to make your call and election sure. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. That sounds like predictable success. See, but as I say that, you're like, okay, yeah, sure, sure. Sure, you can say that, but I got some problems. No, you don't have problems. He just said, you just raised your hand. God's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. He cannot lie. Therefore, he said, if we will do these things. So when we say, I can't do that, now we're moving. But I can't do that. I'm having trouble doing these things. That's where we need to know where our help comes from. Where our help comes from. Praise the Lord. Psalms 26. Psalms 26. Come on, as we jump into this, we want to know where our help comes from. We want to know how how to get that help working for us, right? We want to know how we can begin to see that help bringing fruition. We want to know really what that help is for. What's he going to help us with? All right. Did I say 26? Psalms 46, excuse me. says, God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the sea, though its waters roar and the trouble, though the mountains shake with its swelling. He says, Selah. He says, listen, 
Think about this for a moment. Don't just read over this. Pause and think about this. God is my refuge. God is an ever-present. Somebody say ever-present. Ever-present help in trouble. So when we get to that point of like, God, where are you when I need you? We need to know where our help comes from. We need to know who is our helper because we don't know. We're saying, where are you? And he says, I am an ever-present help. An ever-present help. He says, so if everything happens, if the, the, the mountains get wiped out, get thrown into the sea, things happen, the earth begins to shake, and, the, and all the things that start to happen around me that shake everything up, I know where my refuge is, and I know who my helper is so that I don't become afraid. Because the moment I become afraid I begin to worry. And as Zane said, I begin to worry about things I can't control instead of putting my faith in God who will help me with the things that I can be effective in. Right? And not of my own strength, but the strength he provides. Help. He provides strength. Right? He provides strength. So, you know, where, where Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, he said, listen, I had, a, I had a revelation. You know, we get excited. This is a year of change. This is a year of restoration. This is a year of turning point moments. I mean, talk about a turning point moment. Paul said, I got caught up into the third heavens, whether in the body or out of the body. I could not tell. It was so real to me. I couldn't tell if it was a vision or if God caught me up into the third heaven. He said, I saw things that you can't even talk about on the earth. They're indescribable on the earth. God gave me a revelation of what it looks like that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And he gave it to me to begin to exalt the revelation that now people can have Christ living on the inside of them. But lest that, that, that revelation get exalted above measure, the devil came to buffet him. And when the devil comes in those circumstances, he'll try to wear you out. And Paul said, listen, this is wearing me out. And I asked God three times to take it from me. And God said, now I don't need to take it from you my grace is sufficient for you. My empowerment, my favor that rests upon you, my divine influence, that revelation that now is working out in your life, he said, it's sufficient. And he said, I got it. I got what grace is. I understand grace. And I will put my faith and access to grace. And when I do that, I begin to glory in my weakness knowing that when I access grace, supernatural power begins to fuse through my veins. And that which I felt like I could not bear, now by the power of God, I can bear. Amen. He says it's such a difference. There's such a difference when I'm not trying to do this all by myself. I'm paraphrasing now, but Paul just said, it, it just cracks me up. It makes me rejoice. He said, I was under it. I was under the pressure. Woe is me. God, you've given me this work to do, and now there's just buffeting from the devil on every side. What am I going to do? And he said, listen, I gave you the revelation. 
I gave you the calling? Do you think that I will not give you the strength to fulfill the calling? And Paul went, Baha! Ha ha ha! I do not have to deal with the devil on my own strength. I don't have to deal with these people in my own strength. I don't have to deal with this contention in my own strength. I don't have to deal with these problems in my own strength. There is something that starts to come on me called the grace of God, the anointing of God. And man, it takes me beyond. It energizes me. I like it. Come on. We start to learn how to access the grace of God. You'll walk out here and go, all right, Monday. Let's see what you got. Because I'm not coming in my own strength. I'm coming in the power of God. Instead of Monday, Monday. Can't trust that day. We say, okay, Monday. Let's see what you got. That's what Paul was saying. I'm paraphrasing now, but he's like, listen, I'm going to go on. I was wondering if I was going to quit because this, this buffeting me was frustrating me. It was putting me over. But he cried out to God and God said, listen, I'm not coming to help you. I've already provided my grace and it's sufficient. So tap into my grace. And he's like, I don't need God to come here. I don't need God to come here and deal with this because he's already come and live in me. So we're going to deal with it together. See, he was trying to get the help that God would do it for him. But God knew that after he did that for him, the enemy would come in another situation and, it would all, and he wouldn't know how to handle it. And then if God helped him with that one, he still wouldn't know how to handle it, right? He wouldn't know how to download the app. He wouldn't know how to function in the app. Even though it's on his screen and it's there to work for him, he doesn't know how to work it because somebody put it there for him. And God said, I don't want that. I don't want to have to make you feel like I come down all the time. I want you to know where your help comes from. And it comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Come on. Just be with me for a moment. Ask God for revelation because this will blow your mind and you'll sit back and go, ha, 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 just like Paul. Woo! I see something coming and I know I'm not able to handle it, but I glory in my weakness because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because I'm accessing the grace of God. What I could not do in my own strength, he's going to empower me to go beyond. Doesn't matter if it's business, doesn't matter if it's family, it doesn't matter if it's you ministering to others and saying, listen, what if I pray for him and it doesn't help? That's your weakness. But when you stretch out by the hand of God, stretching forth his hand, his hand in your hand, whoo! Signs and wonders are wrought. See, we keep looking at our inability instead of his ability. minute. If I pull this cord up, it won't pull that off. We keep looking at our inability rather than his ability. Come on, I'll say it again. I'll say it over here. We keep looking at our inability instead of his ability. So we see all through the scripture that's telling us, quit looking at our inability because of what Christ has done for us. His ability now becomes our ability. Amen. 
So when the enemy says, you're not going to be able to do this, you can rejoice in your weakness and say, you might be right, but I'm not doing this in my strength. I'm doing this by what the strength he provides for me. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, I don't know, I got off on a tangent there. <clears throat> so, when we're talking about this help, what, God, what is God going to help us do? What is he going to empower us to do? And I want to pick up on this. He's going to empower us in the day that we live in. Listen very closely to me. He's going to empower us to live holy. He's going to empower us to live holy. It's his call. Jesus, how many of you believe Jesus is coming soon? Just by the signs of time. About two-thirds of you. So if Jesus is coming soon, he's not coming for a church laden down by sin. He's not coming for a broke. He's not coming from a broke down, a, a, a poor church. He's coming for a glorious church, Amen. not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. In other words, we could paraphrase and say he's coming for a holy church. And why would he expect that? We think, oh my God, what does he expect of me? Well, he just expects you to receive his power. Because his power is to transform you from a life bound by sin and the destruction that comes from it to a holy life from the righteousness of God. All right, you're looking at me like you don't believe it. Turn over to 1 Peter. Come on, we're going to talk about some things as we go through this. But just understand, you know, Jerry Haskell uh, ministered on Sunday, and I'm going to have him minister it again. So, Jerry, wherever you are, get prepared. I'm going to have him minister it again. He might minister at the men's conference. But he talked about just as an electrician how the power, electrical power, flows better through like gold. It's a pure, through purity. Come on, we want signs and wonders and miracles. But man, it flows adequately and powerfully through purity. We're like holiness, man. We, we've, we've somehow in the church, we've made holiness this burdensome, heavy, un, uh, uh, unthinkable, kind of ugly kind of thing. But there's a beauty in holiness. There's a beauty in the purity. There's a, a flow through, through the power uh, of God through purity. In fact, when, when the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5 touched the hem of his garment, it said virtue went out of him. Now, if you read that just, just on, on there, it's virtue is a form of power. But you start studying out virtue. And if you'll remember Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 1, he says, add to your faith virtue. Well, that virtue is a moral excellence. A moral excellence. But let's tie that together. Jesus walked in purity. Therefore, power flowed unhindered. When somebody touched that purity, when their sin and their affliction touched purity, purity washed not only her sin, but her sickness. If sickness is a result of sin, then just understand holiness, purity, when it comes over you, it washes all that away. Amen. 
So being holy is not a grievous thing. Whew. Being holy. Now listen, unless somebody start running off, we're not talking about holier than thou. We're talking about true righteousness and holiness. So the thought process, even we've been, we've been programmed to think this will never happen, yet it's there for us. God said it would happen. He provided for it to happen. He said, it'll be difficult for you coming from where you came from out of sin and the dictates of sin. It'll be difficult. But once you realize that what I did in you wasn't just to get you to a place called heaven, but what I did in you was to set you free, to wash you, to sanctify you, to set you apart as holy. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, just so you don't think I'm saying this on my own. Whew, glory to God. Y'all still with me? 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 14, he says, as obedient children, so this is the New Testament, as obedient children, highlight obedient. We're going to see some things in this, highlight obedient. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. He said, when you were a sinner, you didn't know about God. You just followed the lusts of your flesh. He said, but now you know God. Now you know God. You know that he loves you. You know that he gave Jesus to die for you. You know that Jesus bore your sin, shed his blood, paid the price for your sin. He raised from the dead for your justification, that you might be made righteous. He ascended to heaven to give you authority over sin and the enemy. So now knowing that, Knowing that, see, you used to be ignorant of all that. But now knowing that, be obedient as children of God, because you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're no longer apart from God under sin. You've been joined to God through redemption and made to be sons and daughters, children of God. So he says those obedient children, not conforming, not going back to the old things, not leaning on those old things for your help. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. Whoo. Be holy for I'm holy. We'll just let that sit in. We'll talk about it a little bit. He's holy. It's so awesome. We talk about prayer a little bit in this series, but when you get into the presence of a holy God, when you get to that point where you're, you're about right there and you're like, whew, this is that place where I'm not sure I can go in. I mean, the presence is strong, man. And you get to that point of like, God, forgive me, but you, you know, you know what? I can step in by what Jesus did. But all, when you step in, all that other stuff is left behind. And there's a place, there's a place in prayer. There's a place in looking into his word that it's so pure that there's a clear reflection of who you and I are in Christ.
God didn't say to be holy because he's holy and never, and no, you could never do it. That would be unfair. That would be unjust. But he said, now that you know what I did for you, then you know that sin no longer has to be the dominating factor of your life. For the past is gone and the present has come. And all that goes with it, all of the things that people have said, all of the emotional torment, all of the things that have happened to you as a result, maybe not of your sin, of other sins, sin in the world. He said all that stuff that takes place, he said we can leave that behind and we can begin to obey the word of God. Verse 22, he goes on, verse 22, he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Wow. So he said part of holiness comes from loving each other. Hmm. Didn't he say that? Y'all are looking at me like a... I know what Brother Hagin means, a calf at a new gate. We've reduced love to this human thing. He just said, listen, since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love for the brethren. He said, there's a purifying of the soul in obeying God through loving one another. That love of God, Paul prayed about that in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. He said, I pray that God's love would abound in you yet more and more in all knowledge and all discernment that you might approve the things that are excellent. In other words, love is a determining factor for holiness. And yet we think, well, you know, I don't need, I, I, I love people. No, not, not the way he's talking about. Not this purifying, sanctifying love. You need help loving each other. Dear Lord, I'd have you look at your person next to you, say, I need help loving you, but that might create a problem. (laughs) Praise the Lord. All right, so here's my text for today. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. He said, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Oh, there it is again. Highlight that. We'll get to it. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining, disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He said, listen, if you want to be a light in the world, there are some things that are going to take place that will cause the things of the world to wash off and you will shine as a bright light. So he says this, he says, Let's just go back. He says, therefore, as you've obeyed, not in my presence only, but in my absence also, work out. Work out your own salvation. Work out. Now, we've avoided scriptures like this because we're like, oh God, we're under grace. We're not under works. 
We're not talking about working to salvation. We're talking about working from salvation. Working from salvation. Jesus said this, right? John chapter 6, verse 27. He said, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because the God, uh, God the Father has set his seal on him. He said, listen, there's a labor that we're doing every day. He said, we're putting forth effort every day for something. He said, your effort being put forth to develop this life, this holy life, and what that looks like would be effort well spent. Effort well spent. So you're going back to works. No, we're not going back to works. See, that's just what the enemy would like, like you to say. But the Bible just says there's, there's that, that place where our effort comes in to combine with his help. Because otherwise, if we're just like, I don't have to get any effort, he'll do it for me. You will never be empowered to overcome the enemy. And through what God did in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was to empower you and I over the enemy. Right? So he says there, we went over this already, Second Peter. He said, so therefore, be even more diligent. In other words, give more attention. Be more active in developing this life, developing this character. Because if you do these things, you won't stumble. In other words, the devil will never be able to gain the advantage. He will come, but he'll not be able to gain the advantage. Why? Because you and I have put in the effort and then we've incorporated the help to cause this to happen. So he says, work out your own salvation, your own salvation. You say, well, I'm already saved. But he's not talking about that. He's saying, now put in the effort to work out your own salvation. That really to work out really doesn't mean to work hard. It means to carry through to the goal. To carry through to the goal. So he says, in obedience to God, the point is to carry through to the goal, which what is the goal? The goal is Christ-likeness. The whole goal of Christianity is Christ-likeness. To no longer look like the same old man, but to look like him. As Colossians says, to put on the new man, which is created in the likeness and the image of him who created him. The new man in Christ is the same image. And in that place of holiness, in his holiness, in the word of God, when you get into his presence and you know his word, now all of a sudden there's a pure reflection by the spirit of God. There's a pure reflection of that, that who that is, that, that pure and holy reflection. And he says, I start to change you into that same image. How? By your own effort? No, not by your own effort. But by you cooperating, me cooperating with the Spirit of God. So listen to this. Kenneth Weiss says this, carries this out. He says the word workout, or the translation of the Greek word, which means to carry out to the goal, to carry to its ultimate conclusion. We say the student worked out a problem in arithmetic. That is, he carried the problem to its ultimate conclusion. This is the way it is, is used here. The Philippians are exhorted 
we are exhorted, right, to carry their salvation to its ultimate conclusion, namely Christ-likeness. See, when Paul said, I haven't arrived yet, but this one thing I do, I press towards the prize of the mark of the high calling. What was he talking about, the high calling? Everybody's like, what's my call in life? What's my call? Our first high calling is to be like him. It's to be like him. If you want to know just in a nutshell, I want to know my calling. I want to know my ministry. I know there's things to that, but our first calling is to become like him. And our first ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. From that, things start to spring. But without that consciousness of that's what I'm moving towards, that's my highest calling is to become like him. My highest calling is not to pastor you. My highest calling is to be like him. And if I could be like him, I'd be a great shepherd. If I could be like him, I'll be a great dad. Be like him, I'll be a great husband. Why? Because he's a great husband to the church. He's a great father to the fatherless. He's a great good shepherd. If I could be like him, I'd be the best businessman around. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? Amen. So I already knew that. Yeah, but we're not, we're not coming to that place. We're struggling. We're stumbling through the week. He says, you'll never stumble if we come. All right, I got to finish. <laughs> the salvation spoken of here is not justification, but sanctification. Victory over sin and, the living, and living of life pleasing. Somebody say pleasing to the Lord. Say it real loud like you mean it. Pleasing to the Lord. Paul said, this is my goal, whether I'm in the body or out of the body, that I would please him. We've gotten into a little place where we're wondering how God's going to please me today. We should wake up and say, how am I going to please you today? Not by works, but we'd start to bring this. Uh, they are to see to it, speaking of us, they are to see to it that they make progress in their Christian lives. They are to do this with fear and trembling, an awesome fear. This is not a slavish terror, but a wholesome caution. This fear is self-distrust. It is tenderness of conscience. It is vigilance against temptation. It is the fear which inspiration opposes to high-mindedness in the admonition, be not high-minded, but fear. It is taking heed lest we fall. It is a constant apprehension of the deceitfulness of the heart and of the insidiousness and power of inward corruption. It is the caution and circumspection which timidly shrinks from whatever would offend and dishonor God the Savior. So listen, as you're working this out and you're making progress, you should be in fear and trembling, knowing all of these things are, are working from that old man, but we trust him. Now he said, listen, you do this with this fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, the Holy Spirit is getting, well, I don't feel like that today. He's working. If we know him, we allow him. He's working the desire to do his will. 
the desire to become more holy, the desire to be more like him. He's working a desire, a want to. Wow, this is going to be hard. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to. He says, just yield to him. He'll start to give you the want to. The will to do, the desire to do of his good pleasure. But he said, I'm not going to do that all on your own. I am working. I'm giving you the power, the power, the power to change, the power to become Christ-like because everything you desire to be, I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great businessman. I want to find my, my ministry to others. I want to do all that is heightened and effective and powerful through Christ's likeness and holiness. Amen. Moms, dads, better in Christ's likeness. Wives, husbands, better in Christ's likeness. Ministers, better in Christ's likeness. And he says, I'm going to work in you. I am your help. John 15, we're closing. I'm telling you, there's a whole lot to crack open here. But I'm just telling you, do not leave here going, oh my gosh, we're going to talk about holiness. Leave here going, I can't wait to get back next week. I can't wait to get back next week. I'm praying this week. Holy Spirit, I'm connecting with you. Those things that have been knocking me down, those things that have been pulling me aside, those desires that then when I fulfill them, make me feel not, make me feel guilty, make me feel, ah, Holy Spirit, I'm drawing on you. Not from out here somewhere. Not to do it for me. But I'm going to work with you. Because I know you're working in me. Amen. John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say prove you love me by keeping my commandments. He said if you fall deeply in love with me, you will desire to keep my commandments. You'll desire to love God. You'll desire to love me. And from that proceeds all kinds of stuff. But he said, <clears throat> I know this will be tough. So, I'm going to give you the helper. The helper. That he may abide with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Why? Because he dwells in you. So who's the one working in you to willing to do of his good pleasure? The helper, the Holy Spirit. He'll be in you. He won't just be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. Some translations say, I will not leave you without help. I will come to you. Listen to this. Kenneth Weiss summarizes at verse 13 and 14. He says, it's divine ablement. A perfect balance which must be kept if the Christian life is to be lived at its best. How many of you want to live your best Christian life? Half of you. All right. Well, praise the Lord. That's up to you. <laughs> we'll just try that again just for fun. How many of you want to live the best Christian life? 
Hallelujah. If we don't live the best Christian life, then we tread underfoot the blood of Jesus. Every drop of blood was shed for us to have the very best that God had to offer. All right, better keep reading. Live it, uh, Christian life at its best. It is not a let go and let God affair. It is a take hold with God business. I know it sounds good. Let go and let God. Jesus, take the wheel. But then next time you're like, Jesus, take the wheel. But when you say, you're in me, let's take the wheel together. It is a mutual cooperation with the Holy Spirit in an interest and an activity in the things of God. Come on, with the Holy Spirit. He's interested in the activity of God. Whew. It's going to click. The saint must not merely rest in the Holy Spirit for victory over sin and the production of a holy life. He must, in addition to this dependence upon the Spirit, say a positive no to sin and exert himself to the doing of the right. Here Here we have that incomprehensible and mysterious interaction between the free will of man and sovereign grace. He said right here in this scripture, we have that intersection of us and the grace of God. That we don't just merely depend on him to do everything, but we work together with him. And we say no to sin and yes to God. That brings forth power. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. Praise you and magnify you, God. Thank you for revelation, knowledge for each and every one. So we leave this place. As the enemy will come to immediately steal the word. That you have opened up and revealed something to each and every one here by your grace, by your influence, and by your anointing. That we wouldn't be forgetful here, but we would be a doer. We would receive, we would look to that place of Christ-likeness. It's working within us. And we would begin to determine we're going to see that come to fruition. As the enemy would come to steal that word, that it would be covered. That throughout the week, each and every one would see the strength, the helper, that which you provide for each one of us to overcome the strategy of the enemy. That we might see divine change. That might open up places in our prayer life, in our love walk, in our strength to do your will. All the ways that you help us will depend. Put our trust and our faith to access that grace, that empowerment that you give to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you need prayer for anything, there will be... prayers up here right after the service. You can come up here. They'll agree with you in prayer.
you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, say, I want to get on that path. I want to cooperate with him. I want to know him living on the inside of me. Come up here. Tell them that. They'll pray with you. Show you scripture. Pray with you concerning receiving Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Amen. Say this. We go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.
Hey!